Well, today is September 16th. It is 2018. We're in our second message in a four-part series. The four-part series is called Marriage and Spiritual Reproduction. Our first topic we covered last week. I saw gas fall over the room when I announced the title. It was Limp Leadership, Flaccid Marriage. The point of that entire message was that there are at least seven requirements for a man to marry a woman. The first one was purpose. Before God ever gave man a woman, he gave him a purpose. It comes from God's mouth to your ears. It's necessary for you to have a purpose to be able to lead others in purpose. Amen? The second thing that he gave man was his presence. We examined the word Eden, we looked at its various usages, and determined that God gave man his precious presence before he ever gave him a woman. The third thing may have been the most practical. Men, you got to have a job before you have a girl. Your job is a chance for you to cultivate faithfulness and responsibility. It's a chance for you to learn, to grow, which leads you right into the fourth thing, which was cultivation. The Lord wanted to see in the man that he brought out the best of those who were around him before he ever gave him a woman. Are any of these sounding familiar to you? The fifth one was he wanted to see that the man would protect what he had been entrusted with. Ladies, you don't want to be with a man that does not see it as his role to protect you physically and spiritually. The sixth thing that God gave the man is he gave him his word. What a precious gift that was. After he received the word, God gave man a woman. It became his job then to go from a solo priest into a husband that taught the word. Our very first marriage broke down because the husband did not teach the wife the word. It was given to him and not given to her. And when she was tempted, he had not taught her adequately. The whole point of last week was so that we would learn male leadership as a priest is one of the foundational elements of marriage. Ladies, say it's my turn. Oh, today is going to be so much fun. If you get a little bit embarrassed today, I'll be embarrassed before you'll be embarrassed. If you're a little bit uncomfortable, watch how uncomfortable it's about to get. Do you all love me? I have a confession to make. Our message today is called ED and the cure. It's difficult to talk about these things. But I have ED, and I've suffered from it for many years. Mostly silently, covered in shame. Often, we associate ED as a male problem, but the truth is your spouse may suffer from it more than you do. She doesn't even have anybody to talk to about it. I once thought ED was an old man's problem. But more and more in this generation, we're seeing it at epidemic levels in youth 
ED affects youth as well as the older folks. You know, not many pastors would stand up and talk about their personal ED. But I bet many of you are suffering from it in shame, silence. I bet there's emotional pain from it. Today, as we talk about ED, in the medical world, ED is called erectile dysfunction. In our message today, ED is our educational deficit. I have suffered from an educational deficit most of my life. Most of you have suffered from ED most of your lives. We're a generation that is almost entirely ignorant of what it takes to lead in marriage, in life, and in the church. We've not been educated about the holy sanctity of matrimony as God views marriage. In our marriage and spiritual reproduction series, we're going to cure ED because we want to bring forth life in the kingdom. Today, you will rise. Somebody say rise. Rise. To a holy view of marriage as the kingdom of heaven defines it rather than the way the world perverts it. I began last Sunday's message reminding you that we are citizens of a kingdom and that there is no other way to lead than to follow our constitution as it is found in the Tanakh. Today, I want to remind you about our citizenship from the Bill of Rights section in our constitution. Take out your constitution, put it in your lap right now. You're going to turn to the newer Bill of Rights section. Then you're going to find subsection Ephesians, Article 2, and Item 11. The Constitution of the Kingdom is found in the Brit Hadashah, the Newer Testament, Ephesians 2, and verse 11. Okay, the front row on the right side of the room is there. Where are you in the back? If I can stand up here and talk about my ED, you can certainly speak out loud in church. You're not embarrassed, are you, honey? It's nothing to be ashamed of. We're going to cure ED today. Suffering no more. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Do I have your attention? I sure am working at it. Therefore, remember that formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcision by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done by the body in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Say separate. Separate. Does it feel good to be separate from Christ? Excluded from citizenship. Anybody like that word? Excluded? Excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant. Can you imagine foreigners to the covenant? That's an illegal alien in the kingdom of God. Without hope. Does that feel good? Anybody fighting to be without hope today? And without God in the world. Man, did he pile it on here? Separate, excluded, foreigners, without hope, without God. I just came to church to be encouraged. Well, you need to know what you are so that you know what you're being encouraged out of and towards, don't you? But now... 
in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Somebody say glory to God. The blood of Christ has made you near. When you think of the blood of Christ today, it's important that you understand without hope until the blood of Christ, without promise until the blood of Christ, without citizenship until the blood of Christ, without covenant until the blood of Christ. If you stand here today and you are not covered in the blood of Christ, you have no hope, no promise, no citizenship, no covenant. You are without God in this world. But if you stand here in Christ, oh, how beautiful this passage becomes. When you have ED, the importance of blood flow could not be overstated. Since we have an educational deficit and it is keeping us from producing life, we need to look at the best-selling pharmaceuticals of all time. Pfizer made a drug. It's become world popular. This is how it's sold. It's the best-selling pharmaceutical in the entire world. More of this little blue pill sold than any other drug. The whole world thinks that Pfizer fixed the blood flow problem, but they didn't even come close to our true problem. Pfizer's product Viagra is nothing compared to the 35 year, 3,500 year old prescription safeguarded by the Jewish people. They named their product Veikra. Not Viagra. Say with me, Veikra. Veikra. This is what the Hebrews call the book of Leviticus. Veikra. It means, and he called. There is a God calling whose blood speaks a message, and it is the cure for our educational deficit. They named their product Veikra, and it's been around for 3,500 years before there was ever a Viagra. They patented it and offered it to the world free of charge. Somebody say free of charge. charge. Of course, it's free of charge to the man who receives it, but it came at the cost of the one who gave it. We want to turn to the book of Veikra, the 17th chapter. We're going to address our ED and the cure for our educational deficit named Veikra. When you're in chapter 17, find the 11th verse. For the life of a creature is in the blood. Where is your life? Blood Blood flow is everything. For the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. No blood... No life. No blood, no life. We have to have the blood to have life. Our ED rate is so staggering that you probably have no idea how the atonement relates to matrimony except in some ethereal, hyper-spiritual plane. But blood flow 
is everything. Not just spiritually, it's everything physically. You may be sitting there thinking, Pastor, you know, this homiletic goes just a little too far. Maybe, maybe you think that I'm crossing a line. Well, that, to that I say, you have only stiffened my resolve. Because you are already committed to things that you haven't begun to understand. You've already signed a contract and you didn't read what was in it. You already have obligations that God himself holds you to. And you don't even know what they are. Church, it's not just me who has ED. You've got ED as well. And Veikra is the cure to this problem. We're going to use Veikra to eradicate our educational deficit. Your educational deficit is about to disappear as we expand on what we just read in Veikra. Now, I put together some illustrations. And when we show you these illustrations, highly technical illustrations, you're going to have to remember that our graphics art department was laboring in Aguas Calientes and... This was, this was the best that I could do. Let's show you the beginnings of a temple complex. When we are studying our educational deficit, let's start with something very simple. God picked one place on the planet. He said, that's the place my name will dwell. And he put his temple there. In blue, you have highlighted a representation of the temple complex. Outside of the temple complex... You had all of the rest of the world. Not just anybody could enter the temple complex. Think of Psalm 15 in verse 1. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart. God didn't want just anybody to walk into his temple complex. He only wanted those who feared him enough To begin striving for righteousness. No alien could enter. Only God fears. Did you know there was a riot in the Bible over this subject? In Acts 21 verse 28. Listen to this. Shouting. Men of Israel help us. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people. And our law and this place. And besides... He has brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed Paul had brought him in the temple area. When the outside world encroaches into God's temple, the people of God were so stirred up, they rioted. And we accept the world in the church every day. Now, it was a mistake in Acts. Trophimus was actually a God-fearer, somebody who really loved the Lord. And he didn't go inside the temple, he only went in the complex. My point is that when God established a temple complex, there was a clear dividing line between the world and his people, between those who were seeking the God of Israel and those that were seeking some other God. There was a wall between us and them. Well, that gets very interesting. Because those who wear the holy name are separated from the common or vulgar. In our day, just like their day, we have problems with this mixing. So 
Again, I have an illustration for you. Are you ready to be amazed? All right. Your body is the temple complex. The Bible says it. It doesn't say it in one or two places. It says it everywhere. Consider John 2, 19. Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, It has taken us 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Jesus Christ's body was the temple of God. Jesus may have... Loved those who were around him. He may have reached to sinners to help them become righteous. But do you know what Jesus did not do? He did not mix with the world. He was holy everywhere he went. Even if they were unholy, his presence around them caused them to either want to be holy or to kill him. There was a clear distinction. 1 Peter 2 and verse 4 says it this way. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Now what would you call a spiritual house if you didn't call it a temple? Not only is Jesus Christ the temple of the living God, His people are a temple to the living God. This young girl is the temple complex. Are you still not convinced? 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred. You are that temple. Could it be any clearer in that passage? Now this has been associated with suicide for years because people haven't understood the text. This text is actually talking about your sexual behavior. That becomes even more clear three chapters later. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Are you catching that? In what sense is your body a temple? God dwells inside your body. Your body is the temple complex. And he is specifically speaking about sexual relations. He goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 15 to summarize it like this. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Are you beginning to get the impression that you are more important than a building of stone or a tent that was erected in a desert of animal skins? I want to show you at the end of the book where we end up as God's temple. Revelation 21, take your time to turn there. Revelation 21. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, will be their God. The bride here is pictured as a city, a city bigger than a temple, but 
Its habitation is God, just like a temple. In verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Verse 27, nothing impure will ever enter into it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So catch this picture. Jesus is a temple. You are a temple. Your temple fits inside of Jesus' temple complex. Together, all of us join together to become a city of God. Are you tracking with me so far? Then it's time to go to our next illustration. Highly technical illustration. If this is a woman's body, have you ever sang the song from the head to the heart? Can somebody sing a little bit of the melody for me from from the head to the heart? Okay, okay, I got it. From the neck to the knee, you may not journey. A woman's body has a holy place on it. The temple complex that is the woman's body from the neck to the knee is called a holy place according to God's people. Let that settle on you for a minute. Because if you can't come inside the temple complex, if you can't so much it's touched the shoulder of a woman unless you are God-fearing, then how much more the holy place from the neck to the knee? Exodus 28 says it like this. The constitution of our kingdom has very strict trespassing laws, by the way. Exodus 28, 43, Aaron and his sons must wear them whenever they enter the tent of meeting or approach the altar to minister in the, in the, so that they will not incur guilt and die. Being an Israelite was not enough. Being a Levite was not enough. You had to be a priest to minister in the holy place. Is there anybody in here that has touched a holy place and they were not God-fearing, they were not a priest, they had no right to touch what is God's holy place? Wow. What if we were all struck dead the moment that happened? How many would even be alive in here today? How many are dead in here now and think you're alive? As a holy place, there was an even more holy place. Exodus 26, 33 starts it like this. Hang the curtain from the clasp and place the ark of the testimony behind the curtain. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Now, if the holy place is from the neck to the knee, we're going to need a diagram to help us with the most holy place. It's okay. You can laugh in church. I hear the snickers back there. I got these diagrams approved. They were anatomically accurate. There was a curtain to separate the holy place from the most holy place. Our subject today is curing educational deficit. Within the same area as the holy place was the most holy place. 
It separated the holy place from the most holy place according to the scripture by a curtain. And behind the curtain was an ark that is the very testimony of God. Somebody say testimony. testimony. It's God's testimony. It's not your testimony. The ark is God's testimony. I want to read to you from Song of Songs. It's my favorite book. It's the one that I study in all of my leisure time, and sometimes Jennifer helps me with that study. Song of Songs, chapter 4, in verse 12, in a marriage and spiritual reproduction series, is going to get right to the point. You are a garden locked up, my sister. My bride, you are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. If you're beginning to squirm a little bit, it's because you're starting to remember that every woman designed by God entered into the creation with a special membrane that separated the holy place from the most holy place. God sent every woman into this world completely locked up from outside touch. A sealed package, a sealed spring or fountain. This was God's way of saying, nobody should enter into this area unless God himself has directed. Doctors will tell you that it serves no physiological function. But that's because there is nobody that suffers from ED worse than medical professionals. Their deficit is so profound that they haven't even figured out the basic purposes of our design in God's kingdom. God himself locked up every female on earth so that only, hear this, her high priest could enter into the holy place and build God's testimony together. Are you beginning to think seriously about what marriage is? Exodus 28 and verse 34. This ought to sober every man in the room. The gold bells and the pomegranates are to alternate around the hem of the robe. Aaron must wear it when he ministers. The sound of bells will be heard when he enters the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he will not die. Make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it a seal. Holy to the Lord. If the high priest entered the holy of holies in an unprescribed, unholy or common way, he was struck dead. And that's the temple on earth. How much more the one that God made with his very own hands. Wow. It's very quiet in here. It was only for the one man on the planet who was identified because he had a pure gold engraving on his forehead that said, Holy to the Lord. That was the only man that was ever allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. To allow someone other than that man into the Holy of Holies was an abomination. And it causes desolation. No different than when somebody sacrifices to a foreign god inside the temple. The difference is that one brings desolation the whole world can see and the other brings desolation to you that maybe only you and God see. All saints, didn't I tell you that you suffered from ED? If only you had known 
How many in this room are deserving of death as you sit here right now? Just because it was many years ago that you first committed this sin doesn't mean that you should be any less dead right now. The holy of holies treated like a common thing. Let's move to our next illustration. This is putting them all together. See, there is the outside world. Let's just for a moment put somebody you love here. I'm going to assume that this is my daughter for a moment. Nobody is allowed to lay their hands upon Abby's shoulder. Nobody who is not God-fearing and in love with the Lord should even be in conversation with my daughter or they come into contact with the wrath of a father. But those who love the Lord, those who are God-fearing, they come inside the temple complex. That means they get a chance to shake her hand. They get a chance to speak with her. Because they're God-fearing and they're in relationship with Him. But when it comes to the most holy place, when it comes to the holy place, priesthood is required. Didn't we preach that last week? If you're not in the presence of God, if you don't know the purpose of God, if you don't have a job, if you haven't learned to cultivate, if you don't know the Word and aren't able to teach the Word, then stay away from the holy thing. Because everything in that holy place was designed by God. It was clad in gold because it's precious and it's for God's priest and God's priest alone. We've not rightly understood holy matrimony. We've sinned in extraordinary ways. The book of Hebrews is so enlightening on this subject that it's difficult to read it and stand up without falling over. Hebrews 9 In verse 3. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place. Which had the golden altar of incense and a gold covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were cherubim of the glory overshadowing the atonement cover. We cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest. Say only. Only. Say solamente. Say solo. Solo. Say only. only. Only a high priest could enter behind that curtain. That was a man that God himself picked. A man that was vetted by God and the people. A man that had prepared his life for this purpose. But only the high priest entered the inner room. And that only once a year. And get this, never without blood. Never without blood. Which he offered for himself and the sins the people had committed in ignorance. See, the Holy of Holies was filled with holy things designed by God for a holy man. It would be an abomination that causes desolation for an unholy man to enter the area with the holy things. Being an Israelite, not enough. Being a Levite, again, not enough. You had to be a priest to minister in the holy place, but even in the priesthood... That was not enough. 
To enter into the Holy of Holies, you had to be the one high priest. There were never two high priests at the same time. Ever. One high priest for one holy place. Somebody say, one for one. One one. It's not one for all. Do you hear me? One high priest, one holy place. Even the holiest man in the entire world could only enter the most holy place with blood. See, we have ED. Our educational deficit is so profound that it's obscured the most basic meanings of the marriage covenant. If you've been told that all you need is love, you've been told a profound lie. I'm going to hurt your feelings, but I won't leave you there. Love is not the foundation of marriage. That is a Western ideal. It is completely untrue. Many of you have been in love before, but your marriage didn't last. Your relationship didn't last. You know, I love guns. I love barbecue. I love my little dachshund. Love is a very poor foundation for a marriage. Love is a fleeting emotion that comes and goes. Love is not the foundation of marriage. Sinful behavior, crushing debt may have become bigger than your love. It defeated your love, which is why your relationship failed. Very few of you are lucky enough to only have ever been in love with the person that you're married to now. Many of you, single and married, have been in love and love failed. Something was bigger than it. Failed leadership. Failed sinful behavior. Something became more persuasive in your life than the love that you thought you had. Love is not a foundation for marriage. Holiness and obedience to the constitution of the kingdom is the foundation of marriage and it is cut in blood. Blood is the foundation for marriage. Say it with me. Blood Blood. is the foundation for marriage. The feeling of love comes and goes. The word of God is perfect and stands forever. Did you know that marriage is a blood spilled, blood splattered covenant? You think that the rings on your hand symbolize your marriage. That is not a biblical idea. I want to describe to you a little bit of a wedding, very much like the one in John 2 that Jesus attended. Because you're unaware of what happened at every single marriage that was designed by God and the people of God. And the more you learn about it, the more you'll understand what you have already committed to, but failed to understand. To start with, a matchmaker called a shirukin would arrange a marriage for you to someone that you knew of but probably had never been alone with at any time. You would know of them by reputation, but it was very likely that you had never so much as touched their shoulder when your marriage arrangement was made. After agreeing to a contract called a ketubah that enumerated how you would live, you would become engaged. That engagement process was just as binding as the actual marriage. Once you were engaged, there was no such thing as becoming unengaged. They were entirely more faithful than we are. The husband would go to his father's house and begin building a family dwelling called an insula. 
He didn't know when his father would say it was good enough. But his father had the final word as to when his home was good enough to go and get his bride and bring her into it. The bride during this same time period would go home and begin making her wedding dress. She would put a lamp in her window at night not knowing when the father would release the son to come and get his bride. When he did come, he would come with trumpets and friends and carry her to the wedding place. It's funny how much of the Bible this makes make sense, doesn't it? On the day of their actual wedding ceremony, and remember Jesus attended one of these in John 2. The day when they would actually take vows, the setting is almost unimaginable to us. There would be a priest, families, friends, guests, and they would all be feasting while there was a thin layer of cloth between you and them in the matrimonial tent. And when your vows were over, you would walk no further than to this drum set away from where the feasting was happening, and you would consummate your marriage. They were all waiting on the other side of the cloth. There's a good reason for that, though. With the holy people on the other side of the tent wall, the holy couple would engage in intercourse. The groom would enter into the holy place. By tearing the veil and spilling the blood on both him and his bride. They entered into a blood-splattered covenant that is the true foundation of marriage. It would not be possible for God to join them together without blood on him and on her in a mutual act of devotion that would be the foundation for the rest of their lives. Love never entered into it. What entered into it was the blood of a covenant. And that covenant caused love to rise. This is more serious than you know. Love grew from the blood covenant. But love outside of a blood covenant is fickle. It is fading. And it has not worked for anybody ever. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 22. Slide your finger down to verse 13. And be ready to be amazed. The social implications of this message are staggering. If a man takes a wife and after lying with her, dislikes her and slanders her and gives her a bad name saying, I married this woman, but when I approached her, I did not find proof of her virginity. That's an odd thing to say in 1500 BC. How would you prove your virginity? What, did they have a digital camera? How did this work? Sworn affidavit? A medical professional was there? What do you mean proof of virginity? Then the girl's father and mother shall bring proof that she was a virgin to the town elders at the gate. You mean there was proof that she was a virgin and mom and dad had it? What could that be? The girl's father will say to the elders, I gave my daughter in marriage to this man, but he dislikes her. Now he has slandered her and said, I did not find your daughter to be a virgin. But here is the proof of my daughter's virginity. Do you mean the parents would have proof that they could hand? Then her parents shall display the cloth. Say the cloth shall display the cloth before the elders of the town, and the elders shall take the man and punish him. Are you getting this? 
The proof of the marriage was not rings. The proof of marriage was a blood-stained cloth. Because what the bride and groom did in their matrimonial tent was enter into a blood covenant with one another and immediately afterwards they presented the sheet to the crowd for their parents' safekeeping. (laughs) I can see your faces, man. You'd be like, (laughs) man, got no sheet. (laughs) No sheet. We need to bring this practice back. I wonder if our weddings would be so large. You know what we want? We want a destination wedding. I'm thinking maybe Hawaii. No, Fiji. Yeah, but you ain't got no sheet. You need some more BS in your life. Biblical sheets. Their covenant was not based on the fact that they had had sex. A man could do that with a prostitute, but he wasn't in covenant with her. The proof was a blood-stained sheet that testified to the groom and the bride being sealed in a mutual blood covenant. Now, this is heavy. It's heavy because so many in this room don't have sheet. It hurts, doesn't it? Many of you are racing back, your thoughts rolling behind your eyes to the moment that you gave away something that was so precious it could never be given back. Ladies, you've suffered from ED as much as any man in this room. If only we had known then what we know now. Your body is a temple. And the way that we treat that temple is everything. Murders. Let this settle in for a minute. Murders. A murder's bad. But what about a murder inside of the Holy of Holies? See, an abortion is a murder inside of God's temple, inside of the holy place, in the holy of holies. Idolatry. It's been committed inside the holy of holies because fornication with someone that is not the one prescribed high priest is a sacrifice to idols. Love is not the foundation of marriage. I want to prove this to you in a way that is so staggering that our Supreme Court has failed to get this right. We have a godless band of perverts and degenerates that are the highest court in this land, but I belong to a kingdom that is above this land. If love were the foundation of marriage then two men who say they love each other would be married. But love is not the foundation of marriage. And two men who say they love each other cannot be married because they cannot have a blood covenant with each other. Are you following me here? No curtain, no tearing, no blood. No covenant. See, a state can join two men together, but God will never join two men together. Two women cannot be married because there is no blood exchanged between them. No covenant. The foundation for marriage is not love. It's not rings. It's not a ceremony. The foundation is that you cut a covenant in blood together. Man, don't you join yourself to somebody who isn't going to love you forever. And I just want to tell you the truth. They all say they will in that moment, don't they? 
Love is a poor foundation. Blood is better. Love is a poor foundation. What is better? Blood. What is better? Blood. Blood flow is everything. The vehicle cure for our ED is quite literally blood flow. Let's revisit Leviticus 17 and verse 11. Thinking about what I've been saying, listen to this verse and see how it strikes you now. For the life of a creature, the life of the creature's marriage, the life of the creature's relationships, the life of the creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. Your blood is required for atonement. Well, I already gave my blood away. Then you have no atonement. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Blood joins two lives together. Blood can also destroy two lives at once. Blood is the foundation for both life and death. See, the inference when you enter into a blood covenant is this blood is symbolic of my whole life. And if I ever break this covenant, then all the rest of my blood is required. In other words, to break your blood covenant means that your blood is required. You should be dead. So who's sitting out here is pretty confident that you have a right to your life. Let's go to Matthew 19 and see why Jesus said what he said. It will be enlightening to you, I promise. The foundation of marriage is blood. And blood brings both life and death. Matthew 19 and verse 4. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. That word united is debak in Hebrew. It's Greek equivalent means the same thing. It's to superglue. You become joined in a way that can never be separated. You become one flesh when you cut your covenant in blood. So they are no longer two. But one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. What God has joined together, let not man separate. The emphasis in this verse is on what God has joined together. God doesn't join two men together because there can be no blood. He doesn't join two women together because there can be no blood. But a man and a woman are supposed to be joined together by God in a blood covenant. Let me show you a Greek breakdown. You ready? What God joins together. You ready for the Greek? No ex, no Facebook friend, no lawyer, no prophet can put us under. Some people like to read in Hebrew. Some like to read in Greek. I like to read in the Holy Ghost. The fact that you've gotten close with a Facebook acquaintance and you think you love them will not destroy a blood covenant that God himself used to join you with someone. You hear so many things on this. You know, God doesn't marry everybody. The state marries people every day that God will not join together. 
I'm not just speaking about homosexuality now. I'm speaking about people that have not blood to offer. Most church marriages should have been done by the state, not the church. Because they come before God for the pretense of a holy marriage, but when there are problems, they go before a judge to be put apart. Do you find it more than a little hypocritical that you go to get married in a church and you go to get divorced before a judge? That's because we don't see blood. When did a judge ever say, show me the sheet? When did a judge say, wait, if God put you together, what authority do I have to take you apart? He doesn't say that. He says, by the power invested in me in the state of Texas, I do it. But the state of Texas is not the kingdom of God, y'all. The implications of that are staggering. There are people walking around today and in heaven's eyes, they're still married. How dare we? How hypocritical to get married in a church but divorced in a court. To say I do before God and say I don't before a judge. This is ignorance of the highest degree. It is an educational deficit and our guilt has risen above our heads. Say, no, not me, pastor. I've never been divorced. Don't be so self-righteous. Let's start with were you ever married in God's eyes? What was their name? How old were you? Did you make it past the eighth grade? It's easy to say, you know, pastor, you're being too hard on me. In my house, we mourned over this message. We got out of our bed. We shed tears. We cried. We found ourselves saying, my God, we had no idea it was this serious. And we met when we were 15 years old. That wasn't early enough. If you think I'm being too hard about this subject, remember I'm reading Jesus' words. I want to I just ask you a question so that we can get at this the right way. Let's reverse our original process. If it works the way that we think that it does, then anybody who wants to get married, let's send out invitations and we'll, we'll put a small notation at the bottom. It says, hey, we're going to have a beautiful wedding ceremony. We'll have flowers. We'll have caterers. The photographers will be there. We'll have a large wedding party. The pastor will be there and we'll be in a beautiful church. But save this like location because if we ever fall out of love, then we'll come back to the same address. We'll invite everybody back, the caterer back, the photographer back, and we will, before God, ask him to undo the marriage that we asked him to give us in the first place. When have you ever seen that happen? When have you ever seen somebody that has a huge white wedding, when they get divorced, invite everybody back and reverse the same process? If you had to go through that process for God to join you, why do you think you can go through another process for God to separate you? Because we're an unfaithful and perverse people, that's why. We are Gentile dogs. Notice I'm saying we. I didn't understand any of this any more than you did. Look at what Matthew 19, 7 says. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? 
Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for, somebody say except for, marital unfaithfulness, that's adultery, and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, this is the kingdom constitution. And in the kingdom constitution, there is only one grounds for biblical divorce. Why? Why would that be the grounds? It seems like many things should be the grounds for divorce. It's because a blood covenant has implications. If we ever break the covenant that was ratified in our blood before God, then the remaining portion of our blood should be spilled out. We should die. So if you enter into a blood covenant and then you desire to go into a covenant with someone else, one of the two covenants cannot stand. The original covenant takes precedent. God never replaces a revelation that he's already given. He only adds to them. The newer covenant does not in any way replace the older covenant. It fulfills it. This means saying, well, I don't love them anymore. Doesn't matter at all. Listen to me. Not at all. Well, we outgrew each other. Well, good for you. Well, we're just not fulfilled. Do you know that makes absolutely no difference in God's eyes? How about, well, I got saved. You think that that brings you to a lesser standard, not a higher standard? None of these excuses mean that you didn't have a blood covenant. Did you know that in the Bible your blood has a voice? Blood actually speaks. Look at Genesis 4. Genesis 4.10. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Oh my God, Christian! Are you walking around today with a blood covenant of your first sexual encounter crying out against your unfaithfulness? It'd be hard to build a big church like this, huh, Pastor? Others are several adulterous marriages into blood liability. We didn't honor the first one, didn't honor the second one, and we probably won't honor the third. This is an epidemic in our nation because our nation is overcome with ED. We don't understand what we're committing to. Some have committed murder by shedding the blood of an unborn while he was within their holy of holies. Ponder that for a minute. You're going to hear many pastors just say, hey, Jesus accepts you, it's no problem. No, if you don't come to the place where you recognize that you deserve to die, not your baby, there's no chance for you to enter the kingdom of God. Let's just be honest about it. We are murdering millions of children every year. That means from the womb of the mother, the blood is crying out for justice. Oh, can't we just go hear an uplifting word? You know what's uplifting? When you cure your educational deficit and Jesus cures you. Jesus said that adultery dissolves a marriage. Why does it separate? Why does it put asunder and divide? Because you're replacing the blood of your first with the blood of another. It doesn't work that way. 
Jennifer and I mourned, as I said, over this message. We searched our hearts and we searched the Word of God. Words like murder in the Holy of Holies, adultery in the Holy of Holies, cause shame and regret and guilt to fill us. It hurt. Can I tell you the Word of God will cut you? And if you've been going to church for decades and the Word wasn't cutting you, you've been going to a circus, not a church. This was so overwhelming that I got on my knees because I knew I deserved death. Ephesians 2.13 is so beautiful. But now. Somebody say, but now. Man, I have regrets from yesteryear. But now. I did terrible things in yesteryear. But now. Somebody say, but now. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. I have been brought near by whose blood? When I had no blood of my own to offer, when I deserved death, when I contaminated it all, He lent me His blood. How precious is the blood of Christ. What would you do if you wanted to get married in holiness and you had no curtain left to tear? What would you do if you sinned against the blood of your previous covenants and there is no remedy? What would you do if you sinned against the blood of your current covenant and there is no remedy? The blood of Jesus Christ has become a substitute for everything that I didn't do rightly with my own blood. Oh my goodness. You ought never be able to look at a lascivious picture the same. You ought never be able to look at a sister in Christ the same. Ladies, you ought never be able to look at your temple the same. The blood of Christ has become a substitute. What brought us near according to Ephesians 2.13? The blood of Christ. What brought us near? What brings you near? I have hope because of the blood of Christ. I have promise because of the blood of Christ. I have citizenship because of the blood of Christ. I have a covenant because of the blood of Christ. Without the blood of Christ, you have nothing. Oh man, you can wear a ring. You can have a photo album. I've lived long enough to see... Three sets of parents married between them a total of ten times. It's amazing how this year's celebration becomes a shameful thing in a decade. I watched my father hide pictures from my mother because he simply didn't want her to have them in her new marriage. The words of Jesus are tough, aren't they? You begin to see why he called us an adulterous generation? Because you are. Wear it. So I just don't like the way that makes me feel. You need to feel death on you so that you can be liberated. If you haven't dealt rightly with your first, second, third covenant, those that were named before men and those that happened in the back seats of cars, if you haven't dealt rightly with them, you will never move on to a new covenant and do well. If you are stupid enough to sit across the table of, with, with me, and some of you already have done this, so yes, I'm speaking directly to you, and say, no, we will have no problem with our marriage because our problem with our last marriage was how bad the spouse was, you're a fool. Yeah. 
Your problem was that you were unfaithful to God first and your spouse second, whether you're male or female in this room. And until you come to grips with your unfaithfulness, you can never move on with Jesus' blood as a substitute for your blood because you don't even think you needed it. But if you can come to grips with it, if you can die at the foot of Jesus to all that happened and shouldn't have happened, if you can take responsibility for your own sinful life, then you can take on the life of Christ. That's how you get healed. That's how you move on. Oh, church, I'm not just talking to the married in here. See, we define married by standing up before people, but if we defined it by touching the holy places... Who in here doesn't have some attachment that you shouldn't ever have had? For me, that started as early as 10 years old. Because we had an educational deficit. I was raised by wicked people to be a wicked person. And we went to church the whole time. How are you doing? Hebrews 10 becomes a paramount scripture here. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 10 and let's begin to apply the Veikra cure for our ED. Is it fair to say I have every person's attention in here? If you're bored, if you would rather go to sleep, I don't know what else I could do for you. Hebrews 10 and verse 19. A familiar passage that you ought to be seeing in an entirely different light. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. How do you enter the holy place? Now let's put that back into our marriage. You could not cut a blood covenant with someone if you did not produce blood by entering in to the holy place. If there's no curtain left. If there's no blood to offer, if she has none and you have none to give, if you cannot cover each other in your own blood, then how do you enter into the holy place? Jesus must substitute his blood where yours has been lacking. So are you married to the person or are you married to Jesus? Both. Both. Paul never separates the two. A marriage is a marriage to Christ and the person you're married to. It's His blood that joins you because you have no righteous blood of your own. Oh, church, I'm preaching better than you're listening. You know, it's not easy to talk about these things. I could just tell you that God wants you as you are, that you're a freaking champion right now and you probably buy me a jet. Or we could get right before God. And you know what will happen? Your marriage, your lives, you'll soar to new heights. And you young people sitting in here, that your whole sexual life has not yet begun, you better understand your body does not belong to you. You came with a curtain for a reason. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is His body. He takes on both roles. He is both the groom and He's the bride. He is both God and He is man. He steps into humanity to do everything for you that you could not do. 
You couldn't go into the holy place because you were unworthy. You had no curtain with worthy blood left to give. And so He did both for you in His own body. Oh, church. The thought there is overwhelming. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Oh man, have I brought up things you haven't thought about in years? Did you bury them or did the blood of Christ cleanse you from them? And having our bodies washed with pure water. You know, when you consider this, Jesus goes to a wedding in John 2. And in John 2, he sees these acts play out. The scripture doesn't say that a man came out with a sheet. But you know that he did because that was the cultural norm. Just like you know that Jennifer and I stood at an altar before a a pastor. Even though you haven't seen the picture, you know that's our cultural norm. This means that Jesus watched somebody come out with a blood-stained sheet at a wedding. And the very next thing he did was to go clear the temple of God. How dare you turn this holy place Into something to be sold. Is that man your holy priest? Well he got a job pastor. Well that makes you a whore. Is that guy the one that is called by God? Did you meet him in the presence of God? With a purpose of God? Well he makes me happy. That makes you God. Do you see how serious this is? And we haven't acted like it was serious. It's, it's more like it's our choice. My experience in 25 years of doing marriages and marriage counseling is that people start off more interested in their color scheme than they're interested in a blood covenant. So we end up doing counseling after counseling after counseling. This ought to deepen your love for what Jesus has done for you. If He's done it for you. Some of you sitting here, He very well has not done this for. Most of the time I can tell by looking in your eyes. Which is why you don't like to look in my eyes. I had no blood to give. So He gave me His blood. Oh my God, can you imagine having to step back out and you got no Bloodstained sheet. And Jesus stepped in front of you and held it up. Are you seeing why Joseph wanted to put Mary away privately? He didn't want her to be subject to public humiliation. He also did not want that humiliation. His blood speaks a better message than the blood of Abel that brought us a curse. When Cain kills Abel, the blood cries out, He's cursed! There very well may be blood crying out against us. Good thing that Hebrews 12, 24 says, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. There may be blood guilt crying out against you today, but if you throw yourself at the feet of Jesus, then His blood cries out for your release. Have you taken seriously what He has done for you? It's not just about pain on a cross. Every humiliation, every disgusting thing that you did and you deserve death for. 
He received full payment in the wrath of God for you. And He has given you full righteousness where you deserved full wrath. Tell me that you shouldn't serve Him every day of your life. Tell me that you should not worship Him. Tell me that your sitcom and your schedule and your coffee is more important than showing up to worship Him. He tore the curtain of his body at the same time as he tore the curtain of the temple. What he did spiritually, he did physically so that the whole world could see. On the cross while his body was tearing and blood of a covenant was being spilt upon the blood, upon the groom and the bride. In the temple, the way to the holy place was opened. This imagery is so clear. Life can come forward now. A holy groom has entered into a holy place with a covenant with a bride, both bought by his blood. And now life is supposed to come forth. Are you seeing the life that he wants for you? See, he should have killed me, but he didn't want to kill me. He wanted to cure me. Come on, he should have killed you, but he didn't want to kill you. He wanted to cure you. He loved you, and so he bought you. He bought you in the tearing of his own flesh. He bought you in his own blood. He did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. Oh, how what? I am a 300-pound redneck, and I am married to Jesus Christ and happy to be his bride. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it so succinctly. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us. Every dirty, seething encounter, every wicked thought, every time that you treated your body like a playground instead of like a temple, He was made that for you. So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Now you may have a high opinion of yourself. You may be sitting here thinking how all the things that you didn't do compared to somebody else. Let me ask you, does your purity match that of Christ? I have a feeling that in here everybody over the age of accountability deserves death. That's that's my feeling. If you want to correct me on the subject, please, we can do this discussion publicly. I've never been shy. But if we deserve death and He didn't want to kill us, instead He offers His blood to cure us, how precious does that blood become? In fact, if you've replaced the death of your failed blood covenant with the faithfulness of the covenant of Christ, if you have crucified your old failed commitments... And have gone to Jesus at the cross. He promises you something, something altogether beautiful. In Ephesians 5 and verse 25. Husbands, love your wife. Just as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. She was supposed to give herself up for him. But she had nothing worthwhile to give. So he tore his own body for her. Why? To make her holy. What does the blood of the covenant do? It restores you. It makes you holy. It makes you 
redeemed from what you were, which was worthless and dead. Cleansing her. Did something I say make you feel dirty? Let me assure you it's what you did and not what I said. But his word will cleanse you. The blood of Christ and the word of Christ make you holy and cleanse you. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Now here is the very best part. And to present her to himself as a radiant church. He gives you his blood so that when you are presented at the wedding feast, what he sees is a righteous, beautiful, cleansed, amazing bride. See, that's not what we are, but that's what he makes us. This is how you can be humble and be righteous in Christ all at the same time. He makes you holy. If you let him, it will not happen if you're out of covenant with him. So are you treating your covenant with Jesus as faithfully as you would want a spouse to treat a covenant with you? Would you be happy with a spouse that said one thing and did another? Would you be happy with a spouse that made commitments they didn't keep? Would you be happy with a spouse that showed up twice a week with fancy clothes on and beautiful platitudes, but the rest of the week acted like a scumbag. What kind of bride do you think Christ deserves? See, if you let him, he will make you into something beautiful. He deserves something beautiful. Pastor Wade has been preaching about I love correction on Wednesdays. The last message was called the Department of Corrections. Do you know why correction is beautiful? It takes a stinking, sow-like whore and turns them into a beautiful, righteous bride that the world has no comparison for. You know why we don't love correction? We don't understand our true state. When we understand our true state, you are, you're like, You know, last week I said, cultivate me, baby, cultivate me, baby, cultivate me, baby. This week I'm going to say, correct me, baby, correct me, baby, correct me, baby. It's like polish. If you're feeling some things corrected in your life, it's Jesus polishing his bride. And he deserves that. Verse 32 says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. See, anytime Paul seems to be speaking about a husband and wife, he's also speaking about Christ and the church. That's why those of you sitting out there single, I'm still speaking to you. If you are not married to Christ and not married to somebody else in the church, either or, then as I said before, you need to see the series called STDs. You're still in a spiritually transmitted disease. Everybody in this room is either fully committed to Christ or Christ and another person. And if you're not, then you are everything that I'm preaching about. A wicked sinner that rightfully deserves to be damned. And you're sitting next to people that were once like you, but they have been washed. They've been sanctified. They're now in a covenant that is perfecting them if they are faithful to that covenant. Whether damned or saved in here, my aim is that you would become perfected in Christ. 
As we close here, consider just how precious the blood of Jesus is. He took your curse, your unfaithfulness, your idolatry, your blood libel, and He was sacrificed in your place. If you're being made new in Him, then it is no longer your blood on the sheet. It's His blood. How much more serious is it then if we continue in our unfaithfulness? You're no longer sinning against your blood. You would be sinning against His blood. We would be sinning against something much more precious than the blood of us or our spouse. We would be sinning against the body and blood of Jesus. Now you can understand what Paul was saying to the Corinthian church about communion in an unholy manner. We're going to open up this altar here in just a second. It's time to search our hearts. We're going to take communion and celebrate this precious blood. Because this blood gives us hope. This blood gives us promise. This blood gives us citizenship. And this blood gives us a covenant. Consider that for a minute. Without the blood of Christ, you have no covenant. Do any of you have in your purse a bloodstained sheet? Since I don't see anybody jumping to their feet, ready to show the purity with which they have lived their entire life, then we're going to have to ask for His bloodstained cross in the place of our bloodstained sheet. And if we do that, we can say, I have hope. Because of the blood of Christ. I have promise because of the blood of Christ. I have citizenship because of the blood of Christ. I have covenant because of the blood of Christ. Here are two scriptures that are our closing. Ephesians 2.12 Remember that at one time you were separate from Christ. Excluded from citizenship in Israel. And foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Without hope and without God in the world. But now, thank God, but now in Christ. You who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. So I say come near. Come near and come now. Rush to the blood of Christ. Because you surely don't have any of your own. On this screen, put Malachi 3, 16, 17. You ought to be searching your heart this moment. Because this altar is going to open for you. Malachi 3. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. And the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in His presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored His name. On that day, when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares the son who serves him. If you rush to the blood of Christ... If you come to Him and say, have none of my own, your blood is better than mine. He will heal your marriage. He will heal your soul. He will heal your unfaithfulness. And God Himself will remember the day that you honored the blood covenant. And in that moment, He begins making you His pure, 
His spotless, His perfect bride, and you will become a gift back to Him because of the righteousness of His work. We're going to pray and open these altars. That will be our prelude to communion. If you're sitting there and you know, I've never done this right. I've never been in right covenant with the Lord. For me, there's just been church. It's not been like you're talking about. Then have the courage to come and grab me. I will pray with you and God Himself will meet you here. If you need time alone at the altar, that's what this altar is for. If you want altar time, go to the altar. If you want someone to intercede with you, then you need to come to a pastor or elder. Y'all stand to your feet.